Hi, I'm Rima, and you're listening to Think Like a Scientist. In this show, we break down barriers between scientific thinking and modern-day actions for the result of providing you real-life tools and experiences that you can use to bring positive impact. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Think Like a Scientist. In this episode, I'm going to go into the emerging field of precision medicine. But more specifically, I'm going to be talking about the future of cancer therapy. And what I didn't know, well, two weeks ago, I published an episode or posted an episode talking about what happens when your DNA is damaged and all the mutations and genetic um, mutations that could occur at the DNA level um, that could potentially cause disease. And briefly at the end, I I said that I was going to be moving deeper into this subject in the next few episodes. And that's what I'm doing today. But what I didn't know was that I was going to be talking about the Human Proteoform Project. Because this was just published two weeks ago, uh, November 12th, 2021. Or the paper was published in the Journal of Science uh, Science Advances uh, two weeks ago. And... If the name does sound familiar to you, that's because it is building upon the Human Genome Project. And um, these may all sound like technical terms to you, but I'm going to be talking about how this this relates to the whole field of precision medicine, what precision medicine is, and the future of cancer therapy, and how this affects you as an individual, and the society, and the future of healthcare. And... Many of us can spare stories of loved ones or even personal stories of how the healthcare system failed to detect and treat a disease like cancer, some cancers, that were preventable firsthand. And that's because in the past we were really focused on, or in the past few decades, we were really focused on management, managing the disease rather than detecting or preventing the disease and we didn't take into consideration the genetic variation of each individual and this is something everyone knows we all have different um, genes and the DNA that makes up who we are is completely different and the proteins that are expressed are completely different in each individual so you can't expect for example two people who have the same type of cancer say breast cancer to be treated with chemotherapy and expect the same results that's because the molecular composition of their tumor is vastly different even though they have the same type of cancer and when i say molecular composition i mean the the cells and the proteins that make up the their tumor is vastly different and so the way that their body responds to the drug is completely different and so i want to start with telling you about a story of a six-year-old girl named Emily. She was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And it's a type of blood cancer that affects white blood cells and bone marrow. And it rapidly and aggressively progresses throughout the body. So she went through 16 months of chemotherapy treatment only to have a cancer relapse She developed what is called chemotherapy resistance, meaning that her body, um, or in other words, her cancer cells, uh, found another way to to avoid being killed 
by the treatment and continue to grow and progress in her body. Her parents were told that she would not survive. But her fate didn't end there. Her parents, determined to save her life, applied for a clinical uh, trial for immunotherapy. Immunotherapy is uh, a new approach where we get the patient's or the individual's own immune system to fight the cancer cells. Because what happens in, in patients like Emily, or at least in her case, was that her body failed to recognize and fight those cancer cells. So immunotherapy scientists were able to um, give her the immunotherapy treatment, and eight days later, she was declared cancer-free. She is now 14 years old and has been eight years cancer-free. This is an incredible story, though we do have a lot still to uh, research and build upon. This just shows the promise of the future of healthcare and immunotherapies for cancer. And the way this worked, specifically in her case, was something called CAR T-cell immunotherapy. CAR stands for Chimeric Antigen Receptor T-cell Therapy. T-cell is, is a type of cell that we all have in our body, in our immune system. It's part of our immune system. And T-cells, uh, their job is to recognize and fight foreign bodies. So viruses even, like COVID-19. Their job is to recognize it and destroy it. Even cancer cells, their job is to recognize it and destroy it. But what happened in, in, in individuals with like Emily, her T-cells were unable to recognize and fight or destroy those cancer cells. So what did the scientists do? And what exactly is this CAR T-cell immunotherapy? So her, the scientists extracted her T-cells and they engineered it or bound it to what is called CAR, the chimeric antigen receptor. And with those, with that too, they put it back into her body and her body was equipped with the tool to recognize and destroy those cancer cells. And she was declared cancer-free eight days later. Now she's 14 years old, still eight years later, cancer-free. And you may be thinking, what does precision medicine mean? Now, I get what you're talking about, all about this immunotherapy and the difference between chemotherapy and immunotherapy and how, you know, the issue with um, the detection and treatment of cancer today. But what exactly is precision medicine? Well, precision medicine is a new approach in which we instead of a one-drug-fits-all model, we personalize these treatments depending on the individual or the patient. Because what we did not consider was the genetic variation of each individual, and among other factors that we, we did not consider that we are considering today in the emerging field of precision medicine. For example, for treatments like diabetes or type 1 diabetes, We've been primarily focused on immune suppression, so advancing the availability of insulin. And it's only been partially successful. And that's because uh, there are, among other factors we haven't considered, we also haven't considered genetic variation of people with type 1 diabetes. 
because it turns out, as it turns out, type 1 diabetes is not primarily only inherited genetic factors. It's, can, it can also be environmental. So those who may have had viral infections, and even though it is, uh, can be inherited genetic, it, the genetic mutations that individuals with type 1 diabetes um, have are completely different. So primarily, uh, the main mutation is on the HLA region on chromosome 6. But there are vast, uh, countless different loci that also are associated with type 1 diabetes. So taking the consideration of the genetic variation of just the profile of someone with type 1 diabetes will also uh, come into play with increasing the efficacy of uh, the treatments or therapies that we will hopefully put forth in the future of healthcare. So that's precision medicine. I hope you got an idea of, of what precision medicine is, where we're shifting healthcare from not just managing diseases, but from treatment to as well as prevention and detection early on before stages progress. So I briefly mentioned the Human Genome Project, which you may have heard of if you're in science, but if you haven't, the Human Genome Project is, uh, it finished and it was done and it was successful. It would determine the DNA sequence of the entire human genome to give our understanding of genes. And so the Human Genome Project was a remarkable success and it, and it is currently transforming and accelerating research while converting a, a $4 billion public investment over a $700 billion of economic activity and new industries. And even projects such as the Human Protein Atlas and the Human Cell Atlas have been launched in the past 10 years to help understand human diversity, which is something that we did not take into consideration in the past, which will hopefully, which have been shown to increase uh, efficacy of these therapies and treatments when we do take these factors into consideration. But the thing is, though the Human Genome Project provides us the fundamental of understanding genes, genome sequence alone does not provide all the needed information. Only direct analysis of the proteoforms themselves can reveal their composition and enabling studies of their spatial distributions and temporal dynamics in biological systems. The same gene can produce multiple different proteins in different cells or tissues in the body. So let's say gene 1 in liver cells would produce a different protein than in, say, nerve cells. And that's when we need that. You don't want your liver cell to be, say, translating neurotransmitters. And likewise, you don't want your nerve cells or parts or cells in your brain to be translating things that are supposed to be translated in your liver cell. This is how we have organized and um, information encoded in our body. And so today I'm going to be specifically talking about the Human Proteoform Project, which was published, the paper was published in the Journal of Science Advances just two weeks ago, 12th November 2021. And 
you may find it more intuitive to understand human genome like okay it's the map of all the set of genes in 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 a body so that we can understand the genes in a person's body but the human proteiform project what does that mean well if you are in science you may have heard of proteome instead of proteiform a proteome is the complete set of proteins expressed in an organism and so you may th- you may have an idea of where this is gro- going proteoform is the different forms of proteins that are expressed in the body and this is going to be a lot more challenging than the human genome project because the same gene in a body or in a cell can produce different forms of a protein so a liver cell will will translate to a different protein than say a nerve cell and we need that you don't want your liver cells to be translating neurotransmitters because that's not the way that liver cell cells communicate with each other liver cells don't send signals using neurotransmitters so the genes for these uh, neurotransmitters are quote-unquote turned off in the liver cell and similarly you don't want proteins that are usually expressed in the liver to be expressed in the brain so although there there are some commonalities between cells there is also some differences in the way that they express these proteins there's a lot of differences and and for good reason so you can imagine that to map the human proteiform is going to be um, a lot larger in magnitude meaning and a lot more challenging because there are different proteins that are produced from one single gene and the reason why a single gene can produce multiple proteins is mainly because of three things and i mentioned the first one in the beginning genetic variation the difference in dna among individuals and populations and it has been shown even that monozygotic twins so identical twins um, also start to develop genetic variation from the time that they're born and they start to accumulate genetic variation from their environment but even so even in the embryo it's been shown that there's a study that w- that showed that monozygotic twins have at least 5.2 genetic variation or mutations in the womb and so even though that may be very little this is to emphasize the differences that come into play with individuals say in a population so imagine when trying to treat them with the same type of chemotherapy and the genetic variation that two people may hold and another the other two may not be so intuitive if you're not in science but it is still understandable the other reason why a single gene can produce multiple proteins is also because of something that we call alternative splicing so modifications or splicing to the RNA transcript so before a protein the RNA transcript can undergo you know quote-unquote edits or modifications before the protein is translated so this would end up translating a different protein when there are different modifications that occur on the RNA transcript that's supposed to translate for the protein and um, if you're in science you would understand this as uh, spl- uh, modifications such as splicing and there's also something else that we call post translational modifications and since you understand alternate if you understand alternative splicing which is before the protein is, ex- is expressed 
you will understand post-translational modifications. So after the protein is translated in a cell, it can undergo modifications or edits to the protein and which would change its structure and come out to a different protein. And uh, you can under if you're in science, you, you would understand this uh, modifications such as phosphorylation or glycosylation or acetylation or methylation. So different chemical modifications to the protein would end up producing a different protein. And it is proposed that there are around 20,000 proteoform families, one for each gene in the genome. And so we've talked about all the different ways a single gene or the same gene in a cell can produce different proteins. And this is known as gene regulation. And it's important to regulate how genes are expressed or how or when genes are turned on or off because the same genes perform different functions in different cells. And we need that for a good reason. And you may ask, how are genes regulated? How do genes know when they should be turned on or off? Well, that would be a topic for another episode because it is complicated and there are so many topics within itself. But to put it simply, cells get information from primarily two sources. Inherited information from its mother cell, which is why there are things that your cells do that you don't have to tell it to do, it just does it. And information from outside the cell. So for example, nutrient levels, mechanical signals, or chemical signals. And gene regulation also regulates what we call cell differentiation. This is why your liver cell is a liver cell and your nerve cell is a nerve cell. This is a slightly different topic, but it's zooming out of the cell and talking about cells and how they are different in, in various tissues in the body, but they are related. The same genes in different cells produce multiple different proteins or proteoforms. And these different proteins, also known as proteoforms, play a key, play a key role in human diversity, which is what accounts for all the genetic variation that we see. And so what are the implications of all this information and how does this apply? How does the human proteoform project apply to the bigger picture of, of research and translational research where we can take this information and apply it into clinical practice for the development of novel therapeutics that are both preventative and possibly curative? So when we are able to map all the human proteoforms, we're able to see protein interactions and the role of each protein and their function. Let's say there is a specific network that is known for DNA damage. And let's say that this specific network is associated with a specific disease. And so you could picture it as a map where protein A connects to protein B, connects to protein C, etc. And it's just this network of protein interactions. And let's say that there is a protein of unknown function. So you don't know the function of this protein, but what you do know is that this protein is associated with this network that is associated with DNA damage or say a specific disease. You could infer that this protein also plays a role in this network. And that you could infer that this protein or this protein of unknown function is involved with the DNA damage response network as well. And this is known as guilt by association. If you want, you could search it up, guilt by association, protein-protein interactions. 
And by understanding how proteins interact, you can therefore understand their roles in disease, in disease progression, and as well as how we could use these proteins to, um, for the development of novel therapeutics. And actually, many drugs target proteins. The majority of drugs target protein-protein interactions in the cell. And the reason why they're effective is because uh, they bind to particular protein targets. So when you know the, the, the role of a protein and the function of a protein and where this protein is located in the body, you can use the drug to bind to this protein so that you could effectively deliver the drug in the body. And the goal of the Human Proteform Project is to establish a definitive and comprehensive human proteform atlas, a reference set which will be public and available to all, including the many proteomic companies uh, recently advancing in the private sector. This will play a part in accelerating the goal of the 21st century biomedicine researches such as regenerative, regenerative medicine and precision medicine, enhancing drug development and better, decision, better de detection of human disease, and all of which involve proteins. Direct analysis of the proteoforms themselves can reveal their composition, enabling studies of their spatial distributions and temporal dynamics within human cell types and uh, tissues. And when I say temporal dynamics, the kinetics, the movement of these proteins, the spatial distributions, where are they located? And this effort will benefit greatly from initiatives like the Human Cell Atlas, which I um, mentioned earlier in this episode, where it aims to map the different cell types and tissues in the body. And you can now see how the Human Genome Project as well provides the fundamental or the prere prerequisite to the Human Proteoform Project because we will be able to use all this information to understand which genes play the role in, in translating or which genes are expressed, and as well as using the Human Cell Atlas to understand the cell types and understanding which proteoforms say are expressed in which cell types. And all of this plays a key role in the emerging field of precision medicine and the 21st century um, focus of regenerative medicine and not just management, but preventive, preventative and curing disease. So these topics are something that I'm very passionate about and something that I'm keeping track every day and looking at the research. And um, the Human Proteoform uh, Project introduction paper was published in the Journal of Science Advances, which I read. And if you, if you would like and you are interested after listening to this episode, you can go ahead and read it as it provides more extensive explanation into what it is and the... Uh, connections to other projects that have been established and as well as the future of healthcare and the implications and how this applies as well. But I briefly went into it in this episode because it's something that I'm very passionate about. And so I talked about many different concepts as well in this episode, but they all come to the broad goal of the future of cancer therapy and effectively treating cancer and not just effectively treating cancer but as well as detecting cancer so that these treatments can be effectively 
So I talked about various different concepts in this episode as well, spanning from the reason why the same gene can produce different proteins, coming down to the three main reasons, genetic diversity, alternative splicing, post-translational modifications, and as well as gene regulation, and as well as guilt by association, the importance of understanding protein-protein interactions, and how this will play into developing novel therapeutics, both preventative and curative. But this all comes with the goal of understanding how the future of healthcare and the future of cancer therapy will will come into play in the focus and the considerations that we will take for in the future that we did not perhaps may not have considered in the past such as genetic diversity of each individual thank you for your time let me know what you enjoyed in this episode maybe what are things that may be a bit confusing maybe the concepts that i went over let me know and let me know what you enjoyed and and what parts of this episode really caught your eye. And tune in for the next episode I publish every two weeks. Thank you for your time. Let me know what you enjoyed in this episode. And I'll see you in the next one. Mm-hmm.